Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can also hear me on Radio.com and Intercom Terrestrial Stations. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker. And on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. It is my great pleasure. This is not a Buker friendless. This is a Buker friends uh, episode because I am joined by uh, author, international inspirational speaker, uh, former NBA player, uh, played around the world, Lance Allred, TED Talk speaker as well. And as I said, author of a new book, The New Alpha Male. Just stepping beyond boundaries, a guy who has been breaking boundaries left and right, also known as the first legally deaf player uh, that the NBA uh, had. I, I don't know, are you, Lance, But I, before I continue talking by myself and this becomes yeah. a monologue, well, first of all, welcome. Are, are you the first and only deaf player? Um, uh, as far as I know, yeah, I'm still the only one with that moniker as far as being the first legally deaf player in the NBA with 80% hearing loss, unable to play with the hearing aids in. And uh, I don't think, uh, as far as I know, no one else has come after me. So, but, you know, there may be someone. But, you know, my little joke is as far as deaf polygamous kids making the NBA, I've sort yes. of cornered the market. That's my niche. Yeah, I, I'm thinking <laughs> that pro- that's going to be a hard one, a hard one to beat or a, a, a very small group. You're probably yeah. your your Facebook uh, group is not going to be uh, is not expanding anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so that's where you started. And that's how we first met simply because mm-hmm. I was covering the league for ESPN at the time and fascinated by your story and played played around the world played basketball around the world but played with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and that's how that's how we met but you've certainly you've gone well beyond that uh, and I want want to talk a little bit about your current venture the new alpha mm-hmm. male your latest book coming out yeah and the fact that you know it's it's for a player for a former athlete to write about sports is is taking advanced steps from just being an athlete but right. you've even uh, moved beyond that and are now talking uh, in in societal terms yeah and some of the things that we're all collectively dealing with and so that's where the new alpha male comes in, and, and explain a little bit what the inspiration for this book ultimately was. Uh, that's a, this is why I love you, Rick. Uh, I've been doing, I've had several interviews now, but this the reason why I asked you to write the forward, and people should know that you wrote the forward for my book, the new alpha male, is because when you and I first met back in two thousand eight, the questions you were asking me were more than just salacious tabloid fodder <laughs> questions. You want to have a real conversation. Right. And growing up with a hearing loss, my parents always encouraged me to read and write as a form of communication. And so I was the kid who was winning writing awards in school before it was cool. Right. And when my family broke away from polygamy when I was 13, turning 14, um, 
I had no friends and the way to adjust, I started playing basketball. But in my heart, I was always a writer who played basketball, not the other way around. Right. Um, and so, by the way, when did it become cool to to win writing awards or to be a writer has in, it ever in school? Cool <laughs> did it? Awards? <laughs> I missed that turn. <laughs> I don't think it ever became cool in school, but uh, I enjoy it now. Um, but with the hearing loss and my ability to read people's body language, I've always watched people, and I've been fascinated with humans, and I've. And you succinctly put it, um, a cat who learns how to befriend dogs probably yeah. knows more about dogs than most dogs do. And I didn't have the amenities to learn sign language, learn sign language in rural Montana and having to be in speech therapy until I was 15. I just lived in a very quiet world where I was just forced to watch people hmm. and watch them how they would change depending on who's in the room and whatnot, seeing that fear and the fear of being abandoned and belonging is such a driver for humans. And when we broke away from polygamy, uh, saw I saw the power of tribal mentality, uh, trumping reason, trumping even your own individual um, needs, uh, tribal mentality superseding your your self interest. Yeah. Um, and so when my father blew the whistle on child abuse and money laundering uh, for the Vegas mob um, against his group that we grew up in, that his father established, instead of people, even my father's own brothers and sisters, instead of just saying, yeah, Vance, let's talk about this. What did you learn? It was, how dare you? Mm. How mm. dare you get us to look inward and question and maybe be self-reflective about the choices we're making. But with the hearing loss, I've always been reflective. I guess, because again, it's a quiet world. Yeah. I would ask myself, what are my motives or intentions that day when I said this? Why did I need to say it? Because I wanted someone to like me. Why do I need them to like me? What's going on? How much, um, how much was the just the use of words and having to be thoughtful about words and pronunciation and being understood make you more sensitive or aware of like there yeah. has to be purpose behind everything I say because yeah. there's there's a certain amount of effort that goes into being understood. Absolutely. Um, the ability to communicate is one of the things I'm most grateful for. And yet we live in a world where people take it for granted. Especially it's gone so far that we live in a world that's been inundated with the stories of soulmates and the expectation that you should just get me or read my mind by now romantically or if I'm your boss, you should just know by now. And what I'm really hearing people say is I don't want to have to communicate. Hmm. And so here I was going through speech therapy till I was 15 learning to speak with enunciation, with diction, learning and researching what do all these words mean and why do I need to learn these words? Why is this word important when this word will suffice? Um, And the power of words um, and the ability to communicate has always meant a great deal to me. And so going through that, it's ironic now, Rick, that here I am, the deaf guy. I get paid to help teams learn how to communicate better. And <laughs> I go across the world now working with companies and groups, helping people learn to communicate. But so much of our communication, um, these blind spots we have as a human race, we have several blind spots uh, that transcend culture. But the biggest one that we all have that we never really even look at is culture itself. Hmm. That on all these continents I played around the world, everyone and their mother thinks their values are the best values. Right. And so if they're saying that, then it negates and it's a wash. And so much of our culture dictates our stories. And you beautifully wrote in the foreword, I mean, your, your heritage from Germany, I mean, the way your parents saw the world, the way they chose to process information, mm-hmm. 
had so much to do from the culture they came from. Sure. And you learn to ask questions like, well, did I actually choose these values that my culture said were important values? Or did I just subconsciously choose them to belong, Yeah. Uh, to fit in, to survive? But as an adult, have I taken the time to actually, now that I'm self-sustaining as an adult, have I taken the time to become self-actualizing and ask myself, tough questions about, well, do these values even serve me anymore? Hmm. And not a lot of people actually do that. Yeah. And so to kind of bring in the stuff that you were introducing with basketball and sports is that I now have the luxury of being able to use my experiences of basketball, using sports metaphors, sports metaphors, sorry, and experiences to go into the most alpha false bravado C-suite rooms and talk with men who are puffing their chest and get them to actually let their guards down through the power of sports metaphors. Because they're saying, oh, if this athlete is talking about being vulnerable and authentic communication, but that doesn't mean he's weak, but athletes have to learn how to do that to be successful on the basketball court, okay, then maybe I'm safe a little bit here to drop my guard a little bit and go uh, down this path and learn to have more authentic communication. Hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there's lots of things through my travels through all the world that, you know, looking back, going through the process, oh, it was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Would I want to do it over again? Yeah. God, no. But those experiences, they, they, they put me in a great position now, the timing where it is to, really you know convert those experiences right. into gold so how when you when you look at the nba culture that you experienced and all of the other and i and i think that's a subset the nba culture is a subset of the american culture mm -hmm. uh, or the multitude of cultures american cultures that you experienced yeah. I wonder what what the distinguishing feature you would say is of the NBA culture versus the basketball cultures that you experienced in other countries. Is is there something unique about it? Is it different? Is there like what's yeah. the defining quality of it compared to when you played basketball in other countries? Uh great question, Rick. Heck hell of a question actually. I would say the most unique thing about American NBA culture is the the power of the American dream that allows fans and the athletes themselves to really connect to see hey these are kids who went through tough times but look they were able to find a way to break through and their dreams came true. In a massive way. In a massive way. Yeah. And whereas around the world, it's actually really sober. Basketball practices, two a days, five days a week, one game a week, hmm. where there's no like, hey, rags to riches stories. It's just, um, all right, uh, this is what we do. Uh, in Japan especially, there's a saying that every – uh, nail that sticks up must be hammered down. Um, so there is no, um, there's no individual, no individuality yeah. to a lot of these cultures. It's very much, hey, you know what? Um, the team is the team. No one's bigger than the team. NBA culture, people can be bigger than the team because the, the American culture very much to frontier American dream mentality. I'm going to cut out on my own yeah. and try to make it for myself. Uh, now, that begs the question, is that a realistic narrative anymore yeah. with the world that we're living in as far as we're becoming a global society? Right. That uh, we're being asked, and people love to say, well, humans evolved into pack animals. I'm like, and... Whether they're implying that that's where it stops, right? That we become tribal, but then we still want our we have the angst of our individual expression. But as we're becoming global with a global economy, a global online world, um, we're being asked to be 
a broader perspective, more of a global thinking, more of a greater whole conscience. And a lot of people are really struggling with that. Who's like, no, I still want to make sure my needs are met, which is very much, again, American culture, American yeah. values. And so to answer your question again, to kind of succinctly wrap it up, is that the NBA American culture is very much, you still have the fans connecting with the one athlete and they follow him. Whereas overseas, uh, if you leave a franchise, you're dead to them. It's <laughs> all about the franchise. It's about the team. It's about yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, but if LeBron goes to another team, suddenly the Heat fans are Cavalier fans again, or Cavalier right. fans are now Laker fans. Um, that's a very unique thing of true American culture that sticks out from my experiences. But also another thing that basketball has that other sports don't have is the immediate, uh, immediacy of uh, connection because hmm. we're not far away like in the baseball field. Fans can be sitting right up next right. to us. We're not wearing helmets. We're right there front and center with the fans. And so that's that's a global thing, but that's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize why basketball fans really tend to um, have a stronger hold on the American psyche than most other sports athletes do. Hmm. For what you have gone on to do after your playing career, for most people, I would think that being known as an NBA player, being known as a professional athlete, having a professional career, would be a, would be a bonus, would be a plus, would be a, an advantage. But because of where you've gone and because of what you've wanted to write about now, I wonder if that's necessarily true for you or whether you found being labeled as a former NBA player became restrictive in some ways because people, you know, immediately associated yeah. you with something that doesn't necessarily lend you to being an expert or being proficient whether it's as a communicator or a writer right. or any of those things. It was like it was almost like a, a, a previous life that you had to live down. Yeah, okay, I was I was a professional athlete, but you know what? I'm actually smart and I can communicate and I, and I have some yeah. thoughts about society at large. I don't know if that's the case, but I wonder uh, no, if you, you ran into right some on. of that. You, you hit the head right on. Um, um that when I trans, I was going through a divorce five years ago, and I didn't want to be away from my son. And I figure I, I got to figure out something to do with him with my boy. My last job, I was playing in Puerto Rico, and I'm like, well, okay. Uh, schools have been asking me for years to come and speak to their kids since I was in Cleveland. And it's like, well, I hear there's a rumor you can get paid for public speaking. Let's give it a shot. And right away, I was getting pigeonholed. Oh, we already had Mark Ian come last year. We had Thurl Bailey come last year. My, my guys here in Utah, I love them. But it's like, oh, we already had an athlete last year. I'm right. like, well, I, I was an athlete, but I like to think I'm more than that. And so that was the impetus and the urgency of me needing to have the TEDx talk, what is your polygamy? Right. So I could bring up um, a dialogue without really even using sports for event planners and corporations to see what I could do and articulate in just 13 minutes of time mm -hmm. and the impact that I could have that I was able, if needed to, yeah, I can bring sports metaphors, but I have such an eclectic array of experiences from polygamy to hearing loss, a disability, bullying, uh, suicide, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and basketball that I can connect with any clique in a school, I can connect with any array of an audience at any convention with different parts of my story. And these hosts of extremes that you articulated um, allowed me, and it took some time to figure out how do I take these experiences and make sure I'm able to convert them and make them generalizable to other people because I'm sure you sat through many keynotes and speak where a lot of athletes just come and rest on their laurels and they're just telling stories, mm -hmm. um, giving people some voyeurism, um, mm -hmm. high, and that's not what I do. That's not what I job. And I would get, frankly, I get bored anyway, doing that. 
And so what has always interested me as a history major and English major in college, uh, history and culture, again, growing up in polygamy, understanding what makes people tick um, has always been one of my greatest fascinations. Hmm. And being able to go through history and see the societal angst at the time, what was the drive? And usually it's almost always fear. And being able to articulate my own stories with authenticity of getting to the NBA. And I thought I had arrived and my dream had come true, you know, like end goal credits, magical musical score, the natural and all. Yeah. Um, but then I got there and to no discredit to the NBA itself, right. but there's no way the NBA could live up to the expectations that I had for it to somehow give me a happily ever after. Right. What was the, what was the first what was the first moment where you you got there and you're in the NBA and it it the other yeah. shoe drops or there's kind of that thud like yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is that is, is that, that all it? there is or this yeah. is part of the deal or like yeah. ah, if people only knew. <laughs> If people only knew. Um, and again, this isn't this isn't to say the NBA is some horrible monster. No, it does a lot of good things, and it gave me it's given me so many opportunities sure. in my life. Um, but it's a different sure. world. It's, it's a different world, very different world. But there's also here's the thing: where it wasn't different was what was most disenchanting. Is what I'll tell you in that hmm. my very first point in the NBA, I banked in my free throw, and. I was remember I, I got up to the free throw line in Quicken Loans Arena and I wound up to shoot my free throw like I had a hundred thousand times before. And I had this thought really hit me and it was, is this it? Is this the best that it gets? I I don't feel any different. Hmm. Why do I still feel fear? Fear that if I miss this shot, I'll lose my job. And then if I don't have this job, women won't like me. And I'll be a failure, and I'll be abandoned, and I'll die in a gutter somewhere. That whole downward spiral that we as men, who especially if you grew up in the Cold War era, where we were taught that you have to have all these benchmarks, all these trophies, then you'll be alpha, and then you'll be worthy of love. And as a boy growing up in polygamy, that the men who were most alpha had the most wives, and then they were the most powerful, and they had all the money. So very much a hierarchy, cause and effect world that I grew up in, but Americans do as well, that we believe, oh, all these things are happening. Oh, God's blessing me. We hear that narrative all the time. Right. And so you're taught to think everything is cause and effect and a direct reflection of your value and your worth as a man. Right. And I was playing that game, and I didn't make the NBA, as you know, until I was 27 years old. That's seven years longer than the average rookie of just heartbreak and disappointment. I finally get there and I'm like, is this it? Yeah. And then that takes some wild with... stubbornness. I got to tell you, man, <laughs> most guys, the, the, there's no getting there at 27. Like yeah. it's just, yeah. it's not. It, um, yeah, 90% of it was just showing up. And as uh, you know, so much of my story is that, Timing had to go my way, too, that the starting center broke his leg on the minor league team for the Utah Jazz, the, the Idaho Stampede. The power forward got bought out to a team in Europe, and backup center got recalled to the Sonics at the time. And by default, I became the center. Yeah. And they didn't have any other options. And my first game on the road as a starter, I gave him 30 points and 10 rebounds. And everyone's like, where did this deaf guy come from? You know, yeah. He just out there just balling. And... Um, but it was just showing up every day and having a beautiful teammate, Randy Livingston, my point guard, that journeyman that, you know, um, really, he was my last crossing guard that got me to the NBA mm. and I owe him so much mm. and you finally get there and then you get to the locker room and you see in your practice and you start to see the mechanics of how it really works. And you see, you feel just my body being an empath, watching people's bodies. You feel everyone else's fear that I'm the new guy who shows up, and oh, I immediately I'm a threat. And you're like, why are you afraid? You yeah. you arrived. Shouldn't you be happy? Yeah. 
but you see that not many of them are. And huh. these people that you look up to, because you see that everyone else is operating from fear too. Right. And you're like, oh, wow. So it wasn't so much that like, you know, the saying goes, never meet your heroes, that suddenly my hero just like completely betrayed the persona that I imagined. It was just the collective psyche hmm. of from players to coaches to front office, how much fear was in there and how, how little people were actually communicating, even on the team, because we were afraid that if we did too much, someone would stab us in the back. Interesting. And so just that alone, Rick, was incredibly sobering yeah. just to see um, how, how much of an illusion the whole happy ending story that was being told uh, was. Um, and when you finally get there, you're like, I don't feel any different. That's wild. That's wild. It is. Um, it, it, it so happens. I, I, I wonder, we're recording this as uh, on the eve of the NBA announcing that it is suspending all games mm -hmm. because of the coronavirus yeah. uh, and because of Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz player, testing positive mm -hmm. uh, after, after jokingly touching all the tape I recorders. I, I, I mean, you can't That's make wild. this stuff up, right? That's it's, wild. It's, it's a... Yeah. Uh, it would it be a sitcom if if not <laughs> it were, if it were not so. yes it would be a Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm it yes. would be like something yes. but yes I wonder in in association with the new alpha male like how do you apply mm. your understanding from yeah. that to what we're experiencing not just with the NBA and the coronavirus, but the coronavirus and our reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, collectively. Absolutely. That's a great, excellent, and brilliant question that uh, several times I talk about in the new alpha male, especially when talking about the Me Too movement and working with women, is that reaction has never once brought about systemic change in our world. That if anything wipes us out, it's not actually going to be the coronavirus. It's going to be fear, which I saw again behind the NBA curtain and seeing how prevalent it was. And so what a new alpha male is able to do is move into a space of clarity and see how much the world operates from fear and chooses to be brave enough to see, okay, I see that and I'm still going to show up in the world with a big heart. I'm gonna show up heart-centered. What does heart-centered mean? Heart-centered means being able to be masculine and feminine at the same time. Oh, wow, Lance, talk. I don't wanna be listening to Sarah McLaughlin and take a bath, Lance. Uh, no, yeah. what it means is when a basketball player is on the court in his prime, he's praying brilliantly, he's heart-centered. He's both masculine and feminine. Masculine is shooting the ball. Feminine is passing the ball. And that allows you to flow with life, flow with nature, flow with what is. When a basketball player is in the zone, we call it the zone, he's not thinking. He just is. Mm -hmm. He's in the moment where his, you've played enough sports and soccer that when you're in it, your brain isn't even really analyzing anything. You're just one with it all. Yep. And you're maneuvering with it. You're responding. You're not reacting. You're maneuvering with it. And you're trusting the process of this all. And so with the coronavirus, I had a choice. I could have canceled my keynote yesterday in Las Vegas and not gone. I'm like, you know, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep moving heart centered through this world, which is what I preach. I need to walk the talk. And that is I'm choosing with humility, not tempting fate, but I'm having the humility to, to accept my fate. So what does that mean? Me like how meaning meaning. Tempting my fate is saying, oh, I'm not going to wash my hands. I'm going to I'm going to shake hands and whatever, eat my food, whatever. But having the humility to accept my fate is, you know what? I'm going to keep showing up like I know I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. Respecting the power of nature and evolution. Because we as a human species have been kind of running amok on planet Earth for a while now, unchecked because of immunizations which have skyrocketed birth rates, uh, 
which has really depleted a lot of our natural resources. So we have become a very unnatural species on this planet. And having the humility to say, okay, uh, these kind of things, these pandemics, in a way, are Mother Earth checking us. Course correction. Yes. Uh, as um, fate as that, as that may sound. Yeah. But I'll tell you, all my travels around the world, Rick, I have contracted things. Like, remember, I woke up and my eyes were sealed shut for two days. No one knew what was wrong with me. <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? Right. Where were you? Where was this? I was actually in Venezuela. Okay. Yeah. And like, uh, they think, oh, you got stung by a mosquito. It might have been the Zika virus or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. Am I going <laughs> to die? Uh, <laughs> but um, choosing to say, you know what? That's part of what we sign up for yeah. when we come here to play this game on planet Earth. That we think, oh, I'm entitled to everything to be easy, breezy, and comfortable, and I shouldn't have any pain or discomfort or any risk at all involved. Um, that's entitlement. And that is delusional as well. But instead, the new alpha male is someone that is able to say, I'm going to be heart-centered. I'm going to move about planet Earth and keep doing what I'm doing with humility. Doing my best to keep myself in check as far as washing my hands, being responsible. How do I engage and greet people? Do I need to shake their hands? I should, no, let's be respectful right now. Hmm. And trusting that as I move about heart-centered, um, again, I'm not trying to say that we're becoming, uh, I'm thinking I'm invincible. No, I don't think I'm invincible. But I am saying, okay, I'm here on this planet and I'm a part of planet Earth. We're all just extensions of it that I'm choosing to move about with trust here instead of fear. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So your sensitivity to uh, reading body, body language and all of the nonverbal communication that people have, as you were f traveling to Las Vegas and back mm -hmm. what were you because i've kind of been doing the same thing but i'm probably mm -hmm. not as uh as as versed well versed in 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 reading people as you are but i've been fascinated because i've been traveling been doing what i'm doing and mm -hmm. i was at the game i was at the lakers nets game which was okay. one of the first yeah. games where they had new protocol for the media mm -hmm. and yeah there was t and, and all of that and and I didn't really get a sense, like, I get a sense that there's less traffic. I get a sense that mm -hmm. things are flowing a little more easily. But I haven't really had the sense that people are acting too different. And I thought maybe it's because I am with all the people that are still traveling. I'm still with yes. all the people that are not allowing this to yes. interrupt their lives in some significant way. As, mm -hmm. as I am not, like I'm taking right. precautions. I'm washing my hands more consistently. I'm, yes. you know, I'm conscious of not touching my face or rubbing my eyes. Which is crazy eyes. how much we touch our face, like, isn't doing, it? Oh, dude, yeah. I, I mean, it's crazy. Like once I yeah. became cognizant of it, I'm like, yeah. I do this all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. But And that's a great question. And so to answer your question, um, when I went and gave my keynote at the win. Uh, for the leading real estate agencies of the world, about 
a quarter of the people canceled last last minute to attend. Hmm. But everyone else who was there, just their body language. These are people that you can just see the way they walk and the way they move. That is not necessarily hubris, but it's people who choose not to live in fear. Hmm. People who say, hey, you know what? That's part of the deal. And I'm not going to let fear prevent me from showing up every day and attacking life head on, face on, doing my best to create and carve out my path of how I want my life to manifest for me. Hmm. And so the people I engaged with were people cut from the same cloth as me, so to speak, like you're saying, people cut from the same cloth as you. People who say, hey, yeah, there is a virus out there and it kind of comes with the territory. That's part of our deal. Uh, But I'm going to keep showing up. And um, again, not think I'm invincible, but it brings to mind in World War II in London during the bombings for a whole year when London was being bombed by the Germans, people just stopped becoming afraid right that hey you know what all right the alarm's going off all right step off go into the subway and if you get hit you get hit mm-hmm. there's nothing you could do about it mm-hmm. because that's what was going to happen mm-hmm. and so there's again it's not hubris but it's again it's a humility in a way of being in the zone where you know you you kick for the goal and where you take the shot and you miss it and you don't even analyze it you're just like that's what was supposed to happen yeah. because that's what happened. And it's that same um, conscientious integration with life that I noticed people yesterday in Vegas that they're there, they're showing up, but it's like, hey, you know, they're not daring fate to try them, but it's like, if I contract it, so be it. Yeah. But I'm not going to stop showing up every day to live the life I want to live. And so that's why yesterday was such a blast because these were people that were already self-motivating people. So I didn't have to do any baby steps with them. We could just get right into the teachings and the coachings. And it was awesome. One of my favorite events I've ever done in the five years I've been doing this now. Hmm. So you mentioned you have a son. And I'm always Mm -hmm. curious uh, because... We look at sports and it can teach many lessons, but it can also in in, in American society, I believe. And I feel like I'm probably guilty of this because when I when I grew up, I was so I was taught fundamentals of soccer mm-hmm. at an early age. Yeah. And as a result, I played played through college, played beyond mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I was always trying to fix my jump shot. I'm a lefty, so we're always kind of we were we're kind of funky yeah. anyway. But yeah. I grew up playing with older kids, and so I had more of a. I, I did not have the correct form, and I spent a, I've spent the rest of my life trying to get a, a jump shot that I could be proud of. It's better <laughs> now than it's ever been. But the so the one thing I, I say all this because. The one thing I was going to give my kids, as simple as this is, I was like, whatever happens, my son and my daughter were going to have great jump shots in basketball. <laughs> and and I and I sometimes I think, man, you could have ju- you could have shot a little higher as a parent, but <laughs> but my feeling also was there was a lot to be learned from understanding like how you develop those mechanics, how it works, why it works, the simplest, like simpler is better, the me- mm-hmm. the body mechanics and absolutely and just the repetition and all of that. Maybe it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, a, it's a vast justification for something that I just, I wanted them to have for the yeah. rest of their lives, but nonetheless, both accomplished shooters. I mean, beautiful. Yeah. Both of them have beautiful form. My daughter, especially she's natural. Um, okay. But but I say all that because I look at our, and I guess I'm I'm conscious of this because both of mine are teenagers now, and the obsession that we have in America and the association that we make with being a great athlete, that it's a reflection of all the other things that we attribute as heroic and noble and you're a success if you're a 
you know, if you're if you're a scholarship athlete or you're a Division right. One, and everybody's trying to buy their way to their kids being these great athletes. Yes. Right. Well, you and yeah. and you just mentioned it, like the the uh, for me becoming a a, a Division One soccer player. Like mm-hmm. it was a very particular window that I was able to get through. A lot of right. things broke my way for me to have the athletic career I had. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the same. You described right. the same. How unique your path was to to making it to the NBA. Right. I wonder with all of that, like in 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 raising your son, in in looking at even talking to uh, young people coming up. Like how do you how do you utilize how how do you look at sports as the um, as the template for success? Like how do you, how do you how do you how do you utilize that with your son? How do you how do you how do you see that with other kids? Um, great question, and I love sports as far as the discipline and the emotional intelligence it can teach kids of learning how to communicate effectively of learning how to problem solve together um that's why i love sports when people have again this is the double-edged sword of the american psyche integrating with sports that i was talking about earlier Hmm. when people have become so individual with sports that somehow sports is a reflection of my worth as a human being to the world. Um, That was a game I played for far too long. Hmm. And I nearly uh, committed suicide because of it. That when people hide behind sports as a crux to um, or I guess to avoid developing real self-intimacy to really spend time getting to ask yourself, well, what, what am I really passionate about besides just sports? Yeah. Am I brave enough? Do I feel safe enough to articulate that? And that's why I love Kobe. And that's why Kobe was polarizing to a lot of athletes because he threatened them because when it was basketball time, he went for the jugular. But when basketball was over, he didn't go home and play NBA Live 95. No, he went and played, he went and painted, made music. Yeah. He expressed himself in so many ways. And that's where I really admired him. And that's it's, what I would do. I would go home and write and express myself. And go ahead, Rick, go with your thoughts. Well, it was just, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've always thought about, I had a chance to get to know Kobe fairly well for somebody in the media. Right. And so you talk about the, the, the masculine and the feminine. Mm-hmm. sides and and having that balance mm-hmm. and he had that to he the did. extreme in both directions he did and when i would talk to him about family or my kids like yeah. i i it, it always shocked me how mm-hmm. gooey he got Absolutely. right like he just he got yeah. so emotional mm-hmm. and it was just it, it it appealed to him in a way that when I thought of Kobe the basketball, it always caught me off guard because yes. there was always the the Mamba, right? Yes. And so you 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 bring that up with him, and I don't think a lot of people. I'm, I it's I, I appreciate that and, you recognize that. And that's what was really sobering and heartbreaking about when he died. Uh, as Jordan said it well, a piece of all of us died. Yeah. But what what I loved about Kobe wasn't necessarily his basketball theology or his shot selection. And frankly, I, it almost drove me crazy because I knew he had such a high basketball IQ and he knew what was a good shot. and wasn't a good shot, but he still said, I'm Kobe. I'm going to shoot this anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. But his ability, and I saw his extremes, I saw his extreme, extreme cutthroat, dark masculine, but I also knew I could see that he had that feminine side too, uh, how he would, be artistic and express himself. And I think that's also why Damian Lillard triggers a lot of people. Because here's a guy who makes music outside of basketball, whereas other players in the league aren't brave enough to be that vulnerable to express themselves creatively off the court. And so he triggers a lot of them. And so that's why I love Damian Lillard and I admire what he does. 
And so those aspects, uh, that is a healthy, those are, those are guys. And I think frankly, that's what makes them better athletes anyway, mm. to have such a healthy balance of it all. And so coming back to the masculine and feminine in sports and that if we're teaching our kids that they have to be ultra masculine in basketball or any sports, basically that's how they have to approach life too. always just shooting it, shooting it, shooting it, trying to press it, your thumb on right. the trigger eventually they're going to burn out because this is what's happening not just to kids but this was happening from men our age into the late 50s and 60s who were taught again in the cold war era we're america we're number one we have to go get all these trophies and then i'll be happy hmm. and we're like but okay I, I i've been pedaled to the metal for 20 years and why am i not happy i did everything i was supposed to do yeah. And so as far as sports, I love the idea of sports developing a discipline. Those fundamentals you were talking about with your kid that I'm working with my son now, uh, with your daughter especially. Uh, the, the, the need of the daily repetition, uh, getting back to the basics and the fundamentals, which is what I talk about when I talk about integrity and accountability. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's cliche. And I'm like, not really, because Enron, one of his corporate principles was integrity. What does it actually mean? Let's go and talk about it. Hmm. And so having your kids develop the discipline to go back and keep checking their fundamentals through the first experience on the physical, through the, through the basketball and the shots or soccer and all that, it gives them the skills to start checking their fundamentals on all aspects of their life. And so, but while all that's being said, it's like, okay, I want you to go, and when it's time to play your sport that you're choosing, or whatever you choose to do, I don't care if you play sports or not, but find out what you want to do, and you go all out. I don't care if you win. I don't care if you're the best. I just care that you show up and you try your best hmm. every day. Because hmm. you know my story. I failed so many times in my life at so many things. But choosing to get up every single day and keep playing on. Yeah. And that's what I want my son to learn, that whether you fail or succeed doesn't matter. Are you just showing up and are you giving it your best? That's where the character is built. And then once you've done that, okay, it's okay to bracket it or compartmentalize it and find other ways to express yourself. You don't have to throw all of your identity behind one dimension and be a one-dimensional person. Yeah. Go be healthy and express yourself in other ways. And so that is the balance that I'm teaching my son that I did not give myself the compassion to really do, at mm. least publicly, as mm. a teenager. Because I stopped writing when I started playing basketball. And it's, I, my heart breaks when I think back to that kid that I felt, oh, I had to be macho. I can't, I can't express myself through the written word anymore. That's not cool. Hmm. Um, but making sure that my son knows um, not only is it safe for him to do that, but him being able to have the bravery to express himself, masculine and feminine, um, that is just, that's the most brave thing he can do. Yeah. Not, not winning a trophy. I yeah. don't care about your trophy. But are you brave enough to express all parts of who you are and let hmm. the world see it? He's the author of The New Alpha Male. So tell people where they can follow your work, where they can get the book, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Lance Allred 41, uh, the number 41. That's my handle, my jersey number. Um, so on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, all social media platforms. Same for the website, lanceallred41.com. But the book is at Barnes & Noble Bookstores across the country. It's on Audible, Amazon indie books, uh, wherever you prefer to shop. It's everywhere. I'm working with Macmillan Publishers and Sounds True Publishers on this one. And it's been really rewarding because, you know, the first book with Collins, Long Shot, that you also gave a testimonial for, that was a memoir. And it kept me stuck at the sports storytelling narrative. Mm. But this has been such a rewarding journey working on this book, The New Alpha Male and My Seven Principles of Perseverance, to go deeper to use these sports experiences, but to get people to be more inward and reflective and to see, okay, yeah, I'm, am, I, am I brave enough to go there and get out beyond 
the scope of tribal mentality beyond versus, oh, my guy's Kobe, my guy's LeBron, you you suck, he doesn't suck. It's like, you know what? <laughs> no. Um, let's move beyond that yeah. and see things from a greater whole and understand that when we're just attacking people, that tribal mentality is us operating from fear and wanting to feel like we have the right team. And getting people to have real heartful conversations, not only in intimate relations, it's a book for women as well, to help men un- help them understand why it's difficult for so many men to transition in this global society that we're being asked to transition into. But it's also good for workspaces as well, as far as, again, gender conversations. But again, most importantly, just helping men uh, to show up and be brave enough to show up authentically in this world, which we desperately need at this time. Lance, it was great connecting with you again. Great to hear your voice. Wish you the best with the book and everything going forward, and we'll do this again. Rick, you're the best. Thank you, and I'm going to get emotional. Um, Thanks for always having my back, man. Thank you. Happy to do that. I mean that. All right. All right. All right, that does it for this episode of Buker and Friends, subsidiary of United We Cast Network. Um, don't forget to rate and review the show uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want us to do something for you, I went to uh, Kobe's memorial. I was given a, uh, a, a T-shirt. Everybody who attended did. I want to give that to somebody. So we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna give that to somebody uh, who is among the next 50 to rate and review the podcast. Uh, I will be joined. I have a I have another surprise guest for my next podcast, but until I actually record it, I am not going to tell you who it is, but uh, you will you will appreciate it and they'll have some insight on the what's going on with the NBA and the coronavirus as well. So, until then, as always, thanks for listening. All right, my man. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. I owe you. Let me know. Always. Let me let me know how things go. Okay. Keep going well. So yeah, today we got uh, Amazon. We hit number one on Amazon as far as psychology and human sexuality. Sweet, yeah. sweet. So it's going really well. Nice. So yeah, if you want to add that and the yeah. after or forward and just say hey, yeah, as of the yep. first night, it already hit number one. So yep. yeah, it's going really well, buddy. I'll Thank make sure you. I promote that. Yes. All right. Thank you. All right, All right man. Be good. Take yep. you soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.